Welcome, everyone. I'm Michael Banks, and I'm the host of the podcast series, Heroic Journeys from Crisis to Transformation. My guest today is Ray Martin. Ray founded and later sold his own company and was the recipient of the Daily Telegraph Business Leader of the Year Award in 2002. Since then, he's traveled extensively and worked as a business coach and mentor, supporting people to develop their leadership capability and live their own lives in a way that feels true for them. During the last 15 years, Ray spent time in over 20 countries, including New Zealand, Australia, Spain, Poland, and Thailand. He's about to move back to the UK. I've known Ray and watched his journey unfold for almost 40 years, and I'm sure you'll have a lot of wisdom to share with us today. Ray, welcome. Thanks, Michael. What a lovely introduction. Uh, you're very welcome. Thanks for taking the time to uh, have this conversation with me. Um, how are you today? Yeah, very good, thanks. I'm, uh, I, yeah, very, very happy. Yeah, great day talk, talking to people. It's my favourite thing to do. Excellent. Um, okay, so, um, so what would you like me to know about yourself? Or what would you like the audience to know about yourself, rather? Oh, gosh, what a great question. Um, I guess, you know, I'm interested in, in the theme of your podcast. And I guess for me, you know, I, I feel like I'm probably like some of your listeners. I, I'm, I'm on a quest to find out what living life true to myself really means and what the consequences of that way of living are. It's been my experiment, really, for the last 15 years, I'd say. Uh, and it's an interesting and creative journey with many twists and turns. Yes, well, we're going to hear about a few of those twists and turns, uh, hopefully. And uh, it's interesting because you started off life um, essentially as a businessman, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I followed what I would call the mainstream default plan, which is, you know, as a young boy, I was told the right way to live would be to get a good education, get a good wife, get a good job, get a house, get kids, get a mortgage. I was sort of basically, you know, living according to those instructions up to a certain point until my version of that life literally imploded and uh, I had to figure out, you know, why it had come at that time and then what I really wanted to do instead, you know, because clearly it was uh, not really living life true to myself, although I was quite competent in that kind of way of living. It really was quite dissatisfying, I have to say, for me. Yes, I remember you being very competent. Uh, I don't know about quite competent. You were very competent and, and very successful in what you did. Um, in the organization that we work with, uh, worked uh, in together in the 80s yes. in London, um, yeah. you definitely were quite a powerhouse in that organization. I, I was very, very passionate about the mission of that organization that you're referring to. And I, mm. I don't know how it is for you, but when I really believe in the purpose of why we're doing something, you know, I find I get this extra surge of energy and creative persuasive kind of a drive you know and I, I i feel unstoppable when i'm representing something which i think is really worthwhile Absolutely. Yeah. so um can you tell me about uh, a time in your life when you had sort of one of those aha moments which changed you in a very significant way gosh yeah i mean I think probably the biggest one was the day that my wife, who was also my business partner, um, 
let me know after a few weeks of behaving quite strangely uh, that she had met somebody and she needed to leave her job, the company and the marriage with me. And it was, uh, it was a massive, massive shock. Yes, I remember that. And um, that, that really essentially was uh, definitely a crisis for you. It was a huge crisis because it represented the failure of everything that I had been attempting to build from being a young kid. You know, like my painting by numbers mainstream life plan literally sort of got disintegrated. I, I, I've often described it as standing in a bomb crater, in the <laughs> middle of a bomb crater, and turning through 360 degrees, and all you can see is sort of smoke and rubble around you. Uh, yeah, and this was the feeling at that time. I mean, clearly it's a different picture now, but this was the this was the shock. And out of all of the aspects of it that could have been shocking, I think the thing that shocked me the most was that I didn't see it coming. And this was the biggest shock of all. I was so asleep on a fundamentally deep level that I I, I couldn't anticipate this. This is what worried me the most. Yes. Um... So it wasn't just a crisis, it was a shocking crisis. Yeah, both, yeah. But isn't yeah. that the way, though, sometimes? I think for a lot of people, they go through life and, and what hits the hardest is when it's, when it's out of the blue, that whatever yes. crisis is. Um, yeah. And certainly for me, it was the same when I was told I had chronic kidney disease. It was mm. just, you know, th these are the things that other people, uh, that happen to other people, right? They tend yeah. not to we read about them or we see about we hear about them on tv or whatever or yeah. from a friend but when it actually comes to oneself um, yes. so what happened as a result of how did you deal with that and what happened afterwards that crisis well in, immediately uh, i didn't really know how to deal with it i was just paralyzed with the shock of it um because the her decision to to leave meant really the end of the business we started together or at least the end of that phase of it. Um, it meant me finding a new place to live because we shared a home. Um, it meant me being alone. And at the same time, as that was happening, my father passed away. So uh, it meant me sort of coming to terms with that too. Uh, so to cut a long story short, uh, I think about it was about a year, probably the, what I call, I think the Queen referred to it as a Annus Horribilis. This was... This particular year was my Annus Horribus. And uh, I was encouraged by one or two friends to use it as an opportunity to go and do some traveling, which I, I have to say, when I was first made that suggestion, I thought it was an absolutely ludicrous idea. I said, I can remember myself saying, what traveling? What, you mean just going places for no purpose and just for sort of pure pleasure and enjoyment? Well, how do you make money doing that? You know, I, I couldn't, it just didn't kind of fit with my mindset at all. It was such an absurd idea. But as more and more time went on and I realized that I couldn't think my way out of the situation and something deep within me needed to really shift, I actually started to think that going traveling was quite an appealing idea because it would give me a chance to really leave behind the familiar and the known of the life I'd been living and put myself in a few environments where nothing was familiar, nothing was known and be totally anonymous in that process. So that actually would be very helpful to them to do. That's so, so, 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I would say that's quite a heroic thing to do is to go into the, into the, to jump into the unknown. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that was stopping me from doing it was the letting go of all the status and image I'd built up as a biz successful business leader. But what I realized for me was that that success felt to me like a facade, like a Hollywood studio. I mean, it was great on the outside, but on the inside for me, I, I didn't feel successful at all. I felt like a complete failure. Isn't that so interesting? I thought, yeah. So I thought I, I really wanted to reconcile that in myself because I didn't want to live the rest of my life maintaining an image that didn't feel true for me. So um, this was the major, this became the priority. Why? Uh, I'm just curious. What, why did you feel like a failure? I mean, you, there you were with your. You, you won this award for the business leader of the year from the Telegraph, and and uh, you know everything was going your way in a sense. What, how, why do you feel a failure? Yeah, but I, I had a wife that wanted to leave me. Um, I had uh, no sense at all of my purpose or vision for my life. I felt I was living a life that someone else expected of me. Um, I felt like I was dutiful, you know, to earn money, to fund a lifestyle that seemed pointless to me at the time. I get it. I was just, I was just full, of, full of contradictions that didn't make any sense. And I was never stopping to sit down and examine those and say, what are they really about? Yeah, that's, it's interesting. It's almost like I get the impression you felt like you were trapped in a way. I worked totally, yeah, yeah. That's a great, simple way of saying it. Yeah. Trapped in this character, and yeah. uh, and luckily for me, you know, I I, I decided to go travelling, and I I went to Australia, and something quite remarkable happened there. I, I got the opportunity without any, I can't imagine how this could have happened, but I got the opportunity to take up a, a lead acting role in a in a theatre play in Australia, and uh, it's a really, really long story. I don't know if we'll have time in the scope of this conversation to tell it, but. Much to my surprise, I got offered this part to act in a play. And so I decided to take it. And I went to, lived in Australia for three months while I rehearsed for and acted in this stage production of a Ray Cooney play called Out of Order, which is one of those white hall farces like Carry On, like the Carry On films. And, um, and it, that, that experience really changed my life because I realised I spent three months in Australia planning for and preparing to play a character and at the end of that whole experience, I realized that Ray Martin, the businessman, was similarly a character that I constructed. And it wasn't a really fixed, permanent thing, but it had become fixed in my head. But I could see directly that this was a character that I could kill off and start a new series of my life and, you know, cast a brand new role for myself in a different way. So I left at the chance and I've never been back to the life that I had since then. That's that's an extraordinary realization. I wonder how many people uh, have the opportunity. Well, actually, you, you were almost forced into that opportunity. It's interesting, isn't I it? That, you know that when when we have these shocking turns of events, that they. I know it's a cliche, and it's, it's the Chinese uh, proverb of you know a crisis is an opportunity, but it, yes. it is it is an opportunity, but a lot of people don't take advantage of that opportunity either because they're too scared. You, you actually had the courage to go out there and... and only like, just, though. I, I've got to say, only just, because honestly, the honest truth was, I went to the audition and I threw myself into the audition because I had nothing to lose, because I had no belief whatsoever that I was going to be chosen for a part. 
So to me, I was just going to the audition just purely for the fun of the event. And it was only afterwards where I got a call from the director of the play saying, we're interested in you, you know, taking up a role in the play. You know, I see you haven't had very little or no acting experience. And you know, what's your situation? I said, and I said to him, I said, are you, got, are, you, are you crazy asking me to do this? You know, you're going to be in a theatre with paying customers coming in every night. I, I'm not, I've got not much experience. They said, well, we believe you could be, uh, we could show you how to do it. And actually my sister-in-law's an actress. And so I had some good advice from her on how I could cope with that. But I had five or six clients who I had made commitments to, to coach. And it meant I'd have to let them down. So and I was doubtful about that. So I fear about not having enough money and things like this. So I called every one of them individually and I said, this is what's happened. I've been off of this pie. It means I won't be able to do the work with you. How do you feel about that? You know, because if you would like me to do the work with you, I'll say no to this. And every single one of them said, I think you should do it. I think this is a lifetime opportunity, once in a lifetime opportunity. I really think you should do it, Ray. I think it would be great for you. And every single one of them said that. So they kind of gave me the courage. I didn't have it. I was trying to find a way to say, oh, no, I can't. <laughs> and, um, and sort of say, yeah, I did get, you know, these clients needed me. But none of them did. And so that gave me, the, that really gave me the courage. I, I feel like I took it from them rather than I came with it. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, we, we think that, you have this idea, I suppose, I, I'm not sure, but uh, that, that, that to get out of this, these tough times, these difficult scenarios, that we, we have to do it on our own. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but there are people out there willing to help us along the yeah. way, right? Yeah. And in your That's case, obviously, that was, that was a wonderful thing to get that encouragement from your... Oh, man, it's been a huge learning for me, you know, now. It's really been a huge learning for me in the last 10, 15 years that there are people that you can ask for help. It's okay. We all need help sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you can you tell me about a time? Um, I was very curious because, you know, uh, I know a little bit, bit about you, obviously, from uh, the past, um, right. <laughs> quite a way back and also very, very recently and extremely okay. recently. And uh, the uh, you, I asked you... Could you tell me about a time in your life where you were ex where you experienced a major failure or crisis that taught you a significant lesson about yourself? Uh, and you mentioned the, uh, the the situation with the journalist. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was a, this was a great. I can. I, I, yeah, this is one of my, I suppose, my most shame, shameful moments as a business leader. You know, because you know. Um, we all learn through the things that we did well, as well as the things that we did terribly. And this was one of my worst moments, but a great teacher for me. I was at, uh, I'd, I'd launched my own business, which was about three or four years into its journey and actually pretty successful. And we were attracting some really great clients who were paying top money to get great contracts with us, which is great for us. And myself and my, my former partner, formulated a set of principles which was which were really to me beautiful principles we called them the eight principles of heart and soul management and and there was a lot of interest in these because we wrote them down and we articulated them very very well and so quite a few journalists who covered the business world were getting in touch with us asking if they could write about it and i was being interviewed a lot and of course this really appealed to my 
overinflated ego at the time, which I hadn't got any sort of method in place of keeping in check. So here was I, like three or four years into running my own business, great clients, being interviewed by the press, thinking, God, I've made it. I'm Mr. Cool. I'm Mr. Successful. And of course, I, I sort of went a bit too far in one interview. I was interviewed for The Guardian uh, by a journalist. And I, I unwittingly said some comments about one of our clients, which didn't really put them in a very good light, to be really honest. Uh, and and I, after I finished the interview, I, I didn't either think, oh, I best ask if I can read the article before it gets published, just to check if there's anything in it that I wished I hadn't said or something like this, or ask for a modification, etc. And so the next day or day after that, the story appeared in the business section of the Guardian, and it, you know I was quoted in the article as saying that this company was having a terrible time, so it couldn't service its clients, and we were called in to rescue their crappy service. And I and I, I had actually said this, and it was true. I had, and I obviously um, rude that because within an hour, I, I I was on the phone with the CEO of that client, you know, being bawled out personally. And every single member of their management team and their board then did the same. And, you know, I was told that we were going to be in all sorts of legal trouble and that we would never be wanting to be seen again in that company. I mean, it was just, it was just, it was, it was the most lowest awful moment for me in my business career. Um, I felt really terrible. Uh, I knew I'd done something really badly wrong. And I, I went into sort of grovel mode, of course. And um, I tried everything I could think of, but they really didn't want to, at that point, accept any kind of apology or, rec or reconciliation from me at all, which I totally understand. They were, just wanted to kill me, basically. They wanted to lynch me. So um, that's something I've lived with for the remainder of my life. And now I can look back on it because it happened uh, almost 30 years ago now. Or, yeah, some time ago, but... It's, it's one of the one of the most difficult moments I've had to navigate. But of course, I used it as an opportunity. As soon as it happened, I called a meeting for my entire company, and I said, "You know, I've always said as leader of this team that we learn through the mistakes we make." I said, "Well, today's my turn. You know, I've made this colossal, calamitous mistake, and I'm I'm going to put it right, and I'm going to do whatever I can within my power to address it." But I want you to witness that I've made this stupid, stupid mistake and this is what's happened. And so it is okay. You know, we all make mistakes and I've, I've made one. It's my turn. So, you know, you don't ever feel embarrassed if it happens to you. <laughs> oh my God. Well, that's, that's, I have to say it in my book, that's great leadership. The fact that as right. the leader of, the, of your company that you were willing to share the horror, <laughs> I mean, frankly, I'm, yeah, right. I'm sitting here listening to that story and I'm feeling sick as if I was there and it was me 30 years ago in your shoes. I'm like, right. horrible thing that happened. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, but, but great that you could share it with your team and, and um, as an example of, of, well, humility as well. I mean, the fact that you're willing to be open about it. Instead of yeah, these are, the, these are the tough lessons. I mean, yeah, when you run a business, you have to confront some really difficult things. I mean, we had clients go bust who owed us hundreds of thousands of pounds and we couldn't see how we were going to get through that and things like this. I mean, these are, these are, the, these are the real, these are the events that really help you grow as a person. Absolutely. And of course you survive them. You, you always find a way through them. You get past those moments, but they feel like they're going to literally suck you under 
and and drown you when they happen. They're, they're, they're awful. So, so, that, so in a sense, really, that was, uh, can I suggest that that was yet another of those number of aha moments that you experience when, as a result of that, um, what did you, what did you learn that you could beneficially apply to your life? What sort of things from that? Well, there, like I say, for me, the big lesson from some of the business events that I'm talking about was there was the humility. You know, I mean, I, you know, this is one of the great lessons for me. It's like um, there's no end to improving and there's no end to being able to look critically at everything you do and say, how can we do this better? Uh, and I really see that in my life now. And I, I didn't have a sense of it in those early days. I was so kind of impressed with my over impressed with myself to my own detriment <laughs> um but this is one of the things that's really taught me a lot about humility and really that knowing that we're you know when you whatever you do in the world of business you're always in service to something greater than yourself always yeah so uh, it's interesting I, what i want to say at this point ray is that um having seen the the length of your journey and what you've been through um I think in a way what you've, you have transformed yourself in the sense you've shed that image or that person, uh, that character that you, you mentioned that you uh, had created for yourself from growing up to wanting to be this character of success and having a house, all the rest of it. And you've shed it, you've liberated yourself and transformed your life truly, genuinely. And, I would characterize what you've been on as a, as a spiritual journey. Right. Would you agree with that? I mean, yeah, I always had an interest in the, what I call the bigger questions. I remember when I was like 14, 15 years old at school, I sometimes said to my schoolmates, do you ever think about why we're here or what the purpose of our life, your life is, you know, why we're doing any of this or why we're trying to get ourselves ready to go and get a job and stuff. What's the purpose of it? And everyone just used to look at me and laugh and think I was some kind of nutcase. But I always had those questions going on in the back of my mind from, to one extent or another, and they never stopped. And so when I got to the age of sort of 18, 19, and I had my first job and I was building my skills up and I was a sales rep and I, you know, I had a company car, so I sort of felt like I was really, you know, kind of you know, doing well and I had a salary and I was living on my own. And, you know, sort of making everything work as I, as I needed to. I still had those questions because all I could see at that point as an 18, 19 year old was like a 50 year period of just getting bigger salaries, better holidays, bigger company cars and bigger <laughs> houses, and then more money to fill those houses with shitty stuff you don't really need. <laughs> and it just didn't make any sense to me. And I was thinking, how do people who are 18 or 19, how do they motivate themselves to get ready for 50, 60 years of that? I'm, I'm never going to make it to the end if that's the only reason I'm doing it. And I just had no information or understanding of being purpose-driven at all. Um, and so I really was desperately trying to find people that I could talk to about what it meant to have a purpose in life because I, I knew I didn't have one. Mm. Or, I, or at least I didn't know how to know what my purpose even if I did have one, I didn't know that. It's so, so it's interesting that that, um, that quest for meaning that you, that essentially that you yeah. on, um, I think you have to get sort of relatively practical at this point about um, your life. Um, 
you have a few habits or practices now that you uh, tend to use that, that sort of uh, help you to be successful in the sense that you'd like to be successful now? What would yeah. You, you know, can you talk about those? I can, I can. I mean, that's a long way down the road now. Sort of my spiritual education, you know, continued on and still does today. I mean, so like 40 years of different experiences and teachers and inputs has given me a different sort of perspective on these things. So I think probably one of the things that impacted me the most was, uh, was really discovering meditation and mindfulness, uh, which really came for me quite late on. I, I, while I was traveling in Asia, I, I, I was invited to go and sit in a Thai Buddhist monastery for 10 days in silence with the monks. And, I, and I'd never been more than 10 minutes in silence in my whole life. And it was like when someone suggested this idea, I went, oh, my God, I don't think I, don't think I can sit for 10 days and not say a word to anyone. I don't think I could do that. And they said, yeah, yeah, you, you should try it. You, you'll be able to. You'll get, definitely get all the support in the environment you need. And those are their strictly enforced rules in these places. So I, so I took myself in there and... and yeah, it was very uncomfortable and very strange. But I have to say, when I left that place, I just literally felt like a totally different person. I mean, I I sat and I saw my own mind in all of its mischievous workings and didn't try to change it, alter it, stop it, didn't didn't succumb to any of the distractions it was throwing up. You know, just sat, just 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 literally sat and observed myself quietly silently in a still way for 10 days and uh, it was just it was just an eye opener you know like the greatest opener probably i've had in my adult life and ever since then i've maintained some kind of meditative practice so i can always tap back into that inner peace and that calmness in a, in a, what is now we live in a you know super chaotic frenzied world which is just speeding up and getting more chaotic by the minute so to have a way of finding your your what Thich Nhat Hanh, one of my teachers, calls your your own island, your sanctuary, the set at the center, to always be able to return to that place of peace in the center is is absolutely necessary for, for people these days. For sanity. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You uh, sent me a couple of photos as well of your child self and your teenage rebel self. Yeah, that came from a recent experience. Actually, I mean, I've been experimenting with that because. About uh, one of uh, recently, I, I came to the end of a five-year relationship uh, uh, with with my girlfriend, and I sort of felt like I I needed to take a look at my own masculinity as a result of the end of that relationship because I didn't feel happy about my boundaries around that, and I I didn't feel like I've been showing up with sort of some the kind of masculine energy that I think makes a relationship really work well and i wasn't sure why or how or how it could be but whenever i have questions like this generally the right event shows itself and i i found out about this four-day retreat in the forest with a group of men called the fire of masculinity so i decided to put myself on this program and we were asked to conjure up for one exercise we were asked to sit on a cushion with two empty cushions in front of us and conjure up a picture of our child self and our rebellious teenager self. And we were asked to have a conversation with those two parts of ourselves as, an, as a male adult. 
And I found that exercise incredibly enlightening and I got so much insight from seeing these three different parts of myself all occupying the space of who I think I am and all sometimes in conflict and all with different, slightly different needs at different times. So now I have a daily practice of having a check-in with my child self and my teenage rebellious self. So I, sit, I have these two pictures which I sent to you so I can sit in front of the computer and look at those two pictures full size on the screen and have a check-in and say, what do you need? You know, how are you? What do you want to tell me? I'm the male adult in charge here, but I will listen to both of you. What do you need <laughs> to tell me? I love it. I love it. And and I, I actually, practice every day. <laughs> that's brilliant, Ray. I, I remember uh, looking at that photo of your teenage rebellion, rebellious self and thinking, yep, he looks, he's got that look, <laughs> the look of the rebellious teenager. Yeah, and it's a part of myself that I, I don't often acknowledge and, I, and, I, and it's a very useful part. And I'm actually proud of that part of myself because it's that part of myself that got me out of the relationship that wasn't working because my male adult was quite content to comfortably sit in, stay in that relationship and not be, you know, be willing to be, you know, feeling crushed and small and not growing. But my teenage rebellious self was really having a hard time. And that's the part of myself that actually finally got me out. Interesting. Yeah. Great. Well, um, I have uh, a question here, which I wanted to ask you, which is that uh, based on the journey you've been on in life, uh-huh. Uh, what are the one or two most important pieces of advice or wisdom that you'd like to share with the audience? Now, <laughs> you, you have given me a, you gave me several bits in advance here. Um, yes. So I can jog your memory if you need to, need to do that. But uh, how, how Oh, man. This is where I, I must say I do start getting feeling slightly uncomfortable because I, going back to what I was saying about humility, I don't think I've got any really super good advice you know because for me life's an experiment and you have to try things and learn what works for you but i'm aware that things that work well for me might not work well for someone else depends on their situation etc but what i have found generally to be very very helpful are things like uh knowing what you're knowing what my values are knowing more about that having i've had people help me explore within myself ask me questions that enable me to tap into a much clearer sense of what's important to me in the way I'm living. And this has been really, really valuable. And it's part of the work I do as a coach for people is to ask them questions that help them discover what's most important, what do they value the most about their life. You know, and, uh, you know, so for me, I know freedom is a core value for me. So I, I, I make a lot of decisions that honour that value and and uh, say no to a lot of things that would impact my freedom. Uh Integrity is another core value for me. You know, I, I feel if I promise to do something or make a commitment to someone, I feel I have to honour that commitment. It's really part of my my deepest satisfaction comes from living in alignment with those values, and my greatest suffering comes from living in a way that's completely out of alignment with those values. And this is something I've come to really know and understand. So that's one. Um, and if you start living life according to values, what I found is is that. There's a part that gets activated inside you. I don't know what you call it. I call it the voice of inner wisdom. You can call it intuition, your gut feeling, awareness. But there's a part that starts talking to you more and more about, it gives you guidance, how, how to approach things or how to make difficult decisions and things like this. And I, I find that I'm more able to listen into and hear that voice when I live in, the, in alignment with values. 
So um, another thing I think is important, which I discovered through the catastrophe of my failed marriage and my company, as we were talking about earlier, is that I define success according to someone else's definition. And when I arrived at the place of being successful, it was like, wow, that doesn't feel very successful to me. But then I, I was using someone else's measure of success, how, like houses, money, salary, blah, blah, blah. And I think it's really important that we, that we choose to define success in a meaningful way to us individually. It's going to be different for everyone. For me now, success is much more about how much time I have to spend with loved ones, with friends, how much time I have to broaden my education and read and study, learn about the world and how it works. It's, I, I'm much more interested in having more time than I, have, than I am in having more money, but that's only true for me. That's only the success as I would define it. For other people, they would describe it in a different way, and that's totally cool. I'm cool with that. So how we define success is another thing I think it's worth thinking about. Um, and then, I don't know if you want me to say any more than that. Yeah, I do, actually, but I just wanted to make a very quick comment. Yeah, sure. That I think that's a really significant point that you're making about defining that success, true success, is that that success that you've defined for yourself, and not what has you feel you're meant to strive towards. Yeah, I mean we're given a massive amount of brainwashing and programming around that. You know, all the movies portray what success looks like. You know, our teachers at school, our peer group. Everyone's sort of like looking, checking out everyone else to see. Look at the way parents choose schools for their kids. I mean, there's all this peer group pressure and stuff like this. I mean, in the end, I think the only person you can really be honest with is yourself. You know, I mean, you've got to look in the mirror and say, is this what I really want? You know, like my dad, when he passed away, my dad was a working class man. He didn't, he wasn't rich or anything like that. But when he died, you know, there were like hundreds of letters of people writing to say, I just want to say thanks to Joel because whenever I needed a favour, he never said no. He was always there for me. He never refused an accommodation. He was always, always willing to help. He gave his time generously. And, we, you know, he was a lovely, kind, simple guy. And to me, that was a, a man who had a successful life. You know, that was, that was just as much a measure of success as having three BMWs and a private jet, you know, probably more so because most of the people that have those are complete arseholes. But, um, you know, so I, you know, it's arguable that that is a measure of success. <laughs> Hopefully, there are some that are not. <laughs> and if there are any listening to this podcast, please excuse me. <laughs> it's, it's going to be punished to the Guardian, Ray, that quote. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay, that's great. Well, uh, you, I do want you to just carry on. You mentioned a couple of other things self awareness sure. um, yeah. and also the flow of life and not being in control. That was, I was curious about that. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the big adjustments I've made, um, I know other people have done this to some extent, it's certainly been true for me, which is when I was in my younger part of life and in my early career, I was, I was taught and influenced to set and do goals around life and everything and pin down really clear targets for five years, two years, one year, and kind of structure in a very kind of rigid, willful, proactive way, you know, what, what, what I wanted. And, and, and that was my map of the world. And it worked to a degree for a, a few years. But then I found at the point of crisis, it, it no longer worked for me. I couldn't keep using that system. I needed to find another way. And I started to experiment with just following 
the inner wisdom and following the guidance my intuition was giving me and just going with the flow of life. So if life, if I was saying, okay, I've set a target to get this article written this week and yet out of the blue, somebody amazing called me and said, I, I mean, I'm going to go and do this. I wonder if you'd like to join me. And it felt to my inner guidance to be the right thing to do. I say, yeah, I, I won't get the article written. I'm, my inner guidance is to go and do this. And that's where the energy is and that's where the flow is. And I'm going to follow the flow. I'm not going to follow the plan. I'm going to follow the flow. And the more and more and more that I've done that, the better my life has become to the point now where I loosely plan things. I lightly hold schedules and I obviously make a time-based commitments to clients and coach because they've got professional schedules to me and I, and I they need to know that I'll be there at the time I've said. So I, I do have a schedule, but outside of any of those professional commitments, I hold plans very, very lightly and loosely because the one thing I've learned is that there are just one tons and tons of events. I think John Lennon said, life is what happens to us when we're busy making other plans. There's tons of events and we're not in control of those. They come thick and fast in all sorts of different ways. The only thing we can control is our behavior in response to those events. And depending on how you look at that philosophically, that determines the results that you get in your life, you know, the happiness that you have. But it sounds like it sounds like going with the flow in the sense that you're talking about uh, is probably less uh, stressful way of living. Oh, for sure, <laughs> absolutely. Because it, it, when you live in the flow, it, it's like if I if I do this, either that could happen or this could happen, and I'm comfortable either way. I'll let guidance tell me, and then you don't mind which one happens. <laughs> so you want to. If you fancy someone and you want to ask them out, if they say yes, it's great. If they say no, it's great. It doesn't matter. Oh, that's uh, that sounds like a uh, quite a quite a relief to think in, of, of living life like that. I must say. Yeah, um, yeah, always. And if you want to like apply for an opportunity professionally, and you you get a no or a yes, you just know. Okay, that's that's guidance. If it's a no, I, that means that something better's coming instead. And if it's a yes, that means I'm meant to be doing that. It, it almost sounds like the sort of the Buddhist philosophy of the middle path, you know, not yeah. getting too excited and not getting too upset. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd say that's a great way of looking at it, for mm. sure. And what is this E plus B equals R? Yeah, it's just something that I, I work with a, a small team of people that run a program helping young people develop their leadership capability. And it's one of the things that we teach as a, as a model, which is, events that's the e part plus behavior equals results and so it's one of the most fundamental equation as a foundation for life you cannot choose or control events they're coming at you thick and fast you know if you are stuck in a traffic jam and you're going to be late for a meeting that's an event that's not in your control you're going to be in that event like it or not so you can choose your behavior you can choose what you think and what you feel in response to that event. You can let it um, enrage you or you can choose to have a different way of responding to the thoughts and feelings that come up. That's that's in your power. In fact, it's the only thing that's in your power. And the more you yeah, yeah. Sorry. and the more obviously the more that you you become conscious of the fact that it's only your behaviour that you can really choose, the better results you get in terms of quality of life. Uh, I think the, the, that is an amazing insight because going back to the crux of what this 
podcast series is about, which is moving from crisis to transformation, then a lot of people, when they get stuck in the crisis, when they get stuck in the shit, so to speak, they just um, either don't realize or forget that they um, have a choice and that they have a, that it is up to them to choose how they behave to get out of it either dwell yep. on it get sucked into it and self self absorbed with it and 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 not move out of that crisis have it prolong or move out yeah. yeah and sadly it's not anyone's fault because we live in a society where appointing apportioning blame is part of the way society functions I mean, all of the politicians are so-called, you know, if they're our best examples of leaders, they're continuously blaming anyone and anything in existence for any, for everything that they fail to do. I mean, there's always a great reason or excuse. There's never them. You know, they take no responsibility for anything. And there's just, we live in a blame culture. And so children are raised and brought up believing that finding reasons to blame other things external to oneself is the right way of living. And so this cuts across and goes directly against that years and years of training. So this is, this is very, very hard to rewire in oneself without the conscious awareness. Fantastic. Well, I've just got one other question, Ray. This has been super, absolutely okay. super, really has. I've, it's fascinating listening to you and uh, what you've learned over time and all your stories. Um, in the context of the theme of heroic journeys from crisis to transformation, is there anything else you'd like to tell me about? Um, you know, you talked about uh, in your notes to me, uh, a crisis is a call to your higher self. You and, and I can read this out if you want. I thought it was right. Yeah, 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 can please. I, can I read it out? Yeah, yeah please. Said, um, uh, every crisis is a call to your higher self an opportunity to align with our destiny. Listening to one's inner wisdom and guidance is the most valuable thing one can do. So make sure you develop practices that enable you to tune in and get confirmation signals. Yes. Yeah, I like the confirmation signals part because I, I, can, I can describe that um, as an analogy. I, 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 a few years ago, I learned how to fly airplanes and I, I learned the time I learned to get when I got my pilot's license was before the general use of GPS in the cockpit of aircraft. So we had to navigate using a system called dead reckoning, and it's quite different. So all over the country on the ground, there are these beacons that emit a frequency that's unique to that specific beacon. So if you're flying from London to Brighton, the nearest airport is Shoreham in Brighton, there's a beacon on the ground at Shoreham that emits a frequency that is listed in a book. And in the aeroplane, when you're in London, you tune the, the piece of equipment in your cockpit to the shore and frequency. And as you tune it in, the needle in the cockpit starts to point in the direction of shore. And so you just fly down the needle and it, then you know you're going in the right direction. So what's the problem with that? Well, the problem is, let's say you make a mistake and you tune to a, a beacon somewhere else in the country, but you're not knowing it. And then you think you're going in the right direction, but you're actually headed towards Birmingham or somewhere like this because... It might have a similar frequency, but it's one digit different. And so to make sure that pilots never chose the wrong beacon, they equipped each beacon with a Morse code identifier confirmation. So when you tuned in the frequency for Shoreham, you then waited a few seconds, and in your ear you'd hear this 
And that signal was the unique identifier that confirms you've chosen the shore and beacon. There's no other sound that's similar. So that's how you knew you'd chosen the right, you'd made the right choice because you got confirmation. And I think life is similar. You know, when, you, when you're wondering whether or not you've made the right choice, there are things that you can see and feel and hear going on that tell you you've made the right decision. That's a lovely way of looking at it. That's uh, thank you. That's that's very interesting way to to look at it. Yeah, um, brilliant. So uh, Ray, we've we've come to the end of this excellent okay. conversation. Um, okay. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed it. I have. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure too for me. Thank you very much yeah. for inviting me. And I hope that uh, people listening also have. Uh, I've heard some, uh, apart from the interesting stories, some good advice as well. Some uh, from someone who's been down the road and, and is doing very well indeed uh, at the Thanks. end of it all. So uh, anyway, I wish you all the best, Ray, and uh, and thank you again for uh, for being on the show. Thanks, Michael. All right, take care. Thanks. Bye. -bye. Bye.